All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Um, and we are going to be doing Michael Mann's 1992 epic drama, The Last of the Mohicans. Correct. Good morning. And we picked this uh, specifically kind of as because we did uh, Dances with Wolves last time. So we're, we're, on, a, we're on the little short run of uh, Native American pictures, epic Native Amer- American pictures. From the early 1990s. <laughs> right. Well, we, I wonder we if this was made. Niche. I wonder if this was at least in part made in response to Dances with Wolves. You know, like the other studios, like, hey, let's make a Native American movie. Indians, people love Indians. <laughs> you know what I'm I saying? Because well, this is, uh, I think hurt. this is this is one or two years. It's two years after, which right? is basically so exactly what you'd expect. Right. right. <laughs> immediately. Right. Yeah. This is, you know, this is Battle Beyond the Stars <laughs> after Star Wars. Hey, let's make uh, Battlestar Galactica too, <laughs> like a TV show. I, were there I'm any sure. Were there any Native American TV shows? I mean, I, we talked about Into the West a little bit last time, but that wasn't for much, much later. Were there any? Were there any Native American TV shows? Like, like for example, I remember like in the eighties, after a Platoon, and to a lesser extent, Full Metal Jacket. There were a lot of Vietnam kind of based TV shows, like China Beach and even Airwolf. I can't believe I just said the word Airwolf, but even Airwolf is in a weird sort of way sort of comes out of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Well, all I have to say is, um, you know, Miramani. <laughs> Remember, by the way, in Airwolf, how Jan Michael Vincent used to sit out on his dock and forlornly play his cello. <laughs> do you remember wow. that? Wow. I now that you mention it, I do. God, you know, that is a show that did not hold up. Like, when we were in high school, I loved Airwolf. Like, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And then recently it was on one of the rerun channels, and I was just, like, I was horrified and aghast at how terrible it was. (laughs) I think that's the baseline, because I think most things that you liked as a kid, when you rewatch them, you think, like, you know, this is atrocious. And I was was a total moron. And then there's the rare exception where you watch something. Yeah, really. Yeah, once in a really, while, you get something good, you know. Like you're like, Blade oh, Runner. this was good. Yeah, but yeah, but Airwolf ooh, does not hold up. Mm. You know, you're in trouble when Ernest Borgnine is is like the guy you're really looking forward to seeing on the screen. Yeah. All so right. This, so should we get back to? Uh, let's get back to Last of the Mohicans. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I think you may be surprised that I did not like this at all. I gotta say, I was so excited for this, but mm, I I feel like it did not hold up as well. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. Probably last time I saw it was on on video. This is my and, this was my first time seeing it. Interesting. I saw it in the theater, and um, I I remember liking it pretty well in the when I saw it back then. And then at least once after, and I, I think I still liked it, but but this time, I was sort of disappointed. Um, I mean, it has. We'll talk about the the good elements, but uh, it, it was not nearly as good. I no, thought. no, so and I, it's funny because I, you know, I'd never seen it before. I remember when it came out, the trailer. I remember in the trailer, there's like a scene of Daniel Day Lewis looking super serious and running towards the camera. That's half the movie. It's literally half the movie is Daniel Day-Lewis looking serious and running directly at the camera. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's a shot from the trailer. And then I was like, oh, no, that's a shot. Oh, wait, that's a shot. 
Oh no, that's the shot from the trailer. Like it's the same shot over and over and over. I don't Man, know. But, you know, well, that's half, but that's the good half. I don't know. That's I was the very part. I will not lie to you, this was a little bit of a struggle for me. And I you know, I've looked online and I've I've read some commentary about the movie and and people really, really like this movie. I definitely feel like I'm the outlier and a lot of uh a lot of men react very, very strongly to this movie. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I'll just get this out of the way. This movie reminded me of David Lynch's Dune because this literally feels like they left half of it on the floor. Like there's too many pieces that don't make sense and there's too much stuff that you're supposed to understand. And I definitely suspect that there's a three or four hour version out there that never, ever saw the light of day because – there's just no impact to anything, and you're seeing all these big things happen, and there's no oomph to it for me. The, yeah, and I think the the main problem is that there's no character development, and you have you do not identify with the characters, with the exception of Magua and maybe Major Hayward. Um, is that is that Duncan? Oh, major, major Duncan Hayward. Yeah, right. the you know the but those two are the you know Ma, like this movie. Think if they let's say they made this movie from Magua's viewpoint, it could have been awesome. I mean, obviously that's not the book, right? But um, you know, Magua to me, besides the fact that I think West Studi is the best thing in the movie, the guy that you know the well, the and he, that he's plays the Magua. only one who really kind of holds your attention. Yeah, I think he's he's very. I, I, although I, although he's Captain terrific. Monroe, the father, is interesting in his brief role. He's interesting, and and I think you know the the major you sort of identify with to some extent, and he at least he's a half formed character, and I think Mog was a relatively fully formed character, and no one else is. You don't really give a crap. But Daniel Day Lewis, who is ostensibly the star of this movie, is dull. Like he's just plain dull. Like he has no facial expressions. Right, and he's you don't know anything about wooden, him. Right, you know. By the way, he's obviously he's Hawkeye. You know, here they refer to mm-hmm. him as Nathaniel Poe. Do you know what his name is in the book? Yeah, it's like Natty or something. Natty Bumpo. Bumpo, right? <laughs> Bumpo is the. I right, think he was one of the missing Marx Brothers. Bumpo. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been a movie. That's how Marks is Hawkeye. <laughs> one morning, I shot an Indian in my pajamas. How <laughs> we got in my pajamas? I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think um he he's you absolutely do not really care or identify with him very much it's just a you're right i think that i wonder if like you're supposed to know version. everything you know about him by just how he looks which is kind of lame you know what i'm saying like oh because he's a good-looking guy he's supposed to be the hero but he doesn't actually do a ton that's heroic and and like well we're jumping ahead we haven't even done the summary yet but he really doesn't really do much to foster the conclusion of the movie. No. It reminded and, uh, me of, like, have you heard the Indiana Jones problem? Mm-mm. So the Indiana Jones problem, it's, I mean, I, I don't know who invented there's it. Only, wait, there's only one? Well, it's it's like a cinematic <laughs> problem. And it was, okay. it, it was a theory that, I'm not quite sure where it came from, but it was promulgated on the Big Bang Theory, where the Amy Farrah Fowler character said it. And she said... Like there's a scene in the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon shows Amy Indiana Jones was Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, and at the end she says, "You know, if Indiana Jones isn't in the movie, it, the exact same events come to pass. Like he never actually changes it or affects the outcome." Interesting. 
like 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 the Nazis would still get the Ark, they'd still all be killed. The Americans would still get it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, all right. Right, he's uh, a point of view, basically. But that's, that's, that's kind of how I felt about Natty Buppo in this. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, like Daniel Day Lewis, you know, he plays a small role, but he doesn't do a ton. No, 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 you're absolutely, and and you know the the one they make a couple little efforts that they left in to um, have him to talk about his background and how Chingachgook, you know. Uh, his father and which I'm actually I don't think that's true in the book I think in the book he's just a just a a, a colonist hey you know before we go further why don't you do the brief summary because for those who haven't seen it and I imagine some people haven't seen this I don't want them to get lost so the the basically the 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 movie's about the French and Indian War in seventeen fifty seven that's when it takes place. The book that's based on that James Fenimore Cooper wrote he wrote it in the eighteen twenties and he was a popular writer at the time and it's sort of an adventure story and this this movie is uh about um a family of uh Indians in upstate New York. And um, Daniel Day Lewis plays Hawkeye. Who, I heard Hawkeye went to uh, he went to SUNY Binghamton. <laughs> I think Hawkeye might not have gotten in. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> think, Family of Native Americans. <laughs> so, um, so Hawkeye basically was an adopted the, the white son of Chingachgook, who's a respected um, a Mohican chief. Um, and then he has a brother, uh, Uncas, Uncas, I guess, is that it? Who's, uh, who's, uh, his actual blood son. And the three of them are heroic. And, um, there's, during the war, there are a lot of Native American allies on both sides, especially the French, because they don't have as many troops, I guess, in, in, um, along the frontier. So they, rely on different tribes that naturally have have warred for centuries i guess um to help them in the, in the war so uh basically the the english arrived they tried to get militia sort of conscripted from the settlers to go help them and 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 fight the french they're sort of the the settlers are plus minus on that sort of um f- foreshadowing the the revolution the american revolution that's coming soon um Right. There's, there's a sense of not a tremendous amount of support for the crown among the colonists. Right. There's really a mixed sort of feeling. And the, the colonists also clearly have are familiar with the, the local uh, Native Americans. And, and um, uh, I, I won't get into all the details, but basically Magua is a he's supposed to be a. He's really a Huron. What's he supposed to be? He's not supposed to be a Huron. He's supposed to, it's not a Mohican. I think he's supposed to be uh um one of the allies to the uh to the uh, to the English um and instead of the French. But but Magua No, Magua is a Huron. He's a Huron, but he's not supposed to be. He's playing a uh a Mohawk, I think. He's supposed to be a Mohawk, but he's really a Huron. So he's sort of Magua has a has a blood feud. I thought he was a Levite, but go ahead. <laughs> Cohen. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> Magua in, in the movie really sort of, which you're going to hear me repeat, is sort of like the 
in a way, sort of the linchpin that, you know, you talk about how um, the events turn, they don't turn much on Daniel Day-Lewis playing Hawkeye, but they do turn on Magua. He's driving Um, the story because even though there's a bigger sort of story about the the English and the French, Magua's got his own purposes that he's working at all along, and he's sort of relentlessly driving the events that involve the characters we see. Right. And everything sort of turns around Magua. So um, basically um, – Did you know they, 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 have, they marketed a drink at, based on this movie called Magua's Agua? <laughs> I tasted it. It tasted <laughs> It tasted kind of like Zima, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Zima, but like with leather in it and a little, it's sweat. A little blood. <laughs> tasted like a tomahawk. Um, um, so – Basically, Magua is always ambushing people along with the Huron, and um, and his Hawkeye, goal is to kill this this Captain Monroe and, and his, his children, right? right his, his two, two daughters. daughters, right? Alice so, and Cora, Cora right. being Madeline Stowe, Alice being Jodie May, right? And and Cora especially is one of the main characters in the movie and becomes uh, Daniel Day Lewis's love interest as they travel up to. To Albany, he takes them after they escape an ambush. Uh, um, Hawkeye. Oh, it was and... SUNY Albany. Sorry. <laughs> that maybe. Uh, so um, he probably that he probably would have gone. He, he looks like he would party. <laughs> so um, so so basically, Hawkeye and his family, the three of them, save them during an ambush. Uh, Magua escapes. They save uh, the the two sisters and the, and Major uh, Duncan Hayward, who's the English officer that's sent to um, to uh, uh, reinforce troops. Right, and it's um, also it's worth saying that Duncan is in love with Cora, who has completely friend zoned him, big time. Yeah, and and he he's you know he's he keeps trying. I mean, right? He's, he, yeah, he's. Uh, he wants to marry her, and she could not possibly be less interested. And also, she read she read in the script that she's supposed to be in love with Daniel Day Lewis because you'd never know it otherwise from her acting. But she read it in the script, so she's in love with <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> she looks nice, though. Yeah, but, you know what's um, interesting is she she's like Dorian Gray. Like if you look at her now, she does not appear to age. Like this movie is a quarter century old, and she looks the same today. Hmm. Well, that's the miracle of modern technology. <laughs> Well, so, oh, by the way, in the book, got, I think Cora is supposed uh, to be a mulatto in the book, I think. Yes, I believe so. So, um, which I guess maybe they cast her because she's sort of ethnic. Maybe. But um, uh, anyway, the, I know the, the plot's super complicated because there's a lot of allies and a lot of background. And that's the problem with the movie. But in the end, um, Magua. He kills was, Captain Mon- Colonel Monroe. Right. He kills Colonel Monroe. Um, everybody's running away. Uh, the, they end up being, Magua goes to a, um, like a, an elder chief, um, Indian and brings his captives. Right. The Monroe girls. Right. The Monroe girls and the major, is he with them at that point? Jeez, I don't remember. It's so complicated. Yeah. No, Daniel Day Lewis and the major, they're all there. They're all brought before the chieftain. So they're all brought before the chieftain, and Magua says, you know, we'll burn the girls, and, you know, we're going to trade in the major to get some cash from the English, and I'm doing this for, you know, uh, I'm bringing this to you because I'm a great war chief, 
and um, everybody else will die. And the the war chief. So 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 Hawkeye speaking through a French interpreter with with the major, which is sort of a, a nice little scene. Um, so he he gives a counterpoint and he argues that Magua is is basically destroying relations and he's being politically naive um and just for his own blood feud and he's not after their interests and he's he's basically he's full of crap and the chieftain sort of to his credit thinks that there's some truth to that it all sort of makes sense so he sort of turns magua down and he makes a mid sort of a uh, a compromise deal where he says, you know, uh, that Hawkeye can go free and... Does he um, say, like, kill one of them? One of the girls Mago gets to take. The other one, Cora, they're going to burn. The the blonde, the younger daughter, they, they he says Mago gets to take her. And, um, and they'll, I think they were going to turn, they were going to turn over, I guess, the major, like, like Mario right. said. So basically Hawkeye says, no, take me because he's in love with Cora and, you know, take me instead of her, kill, you know, burn me at the stake. Right. And the major doesn't translate that. The, the major translates that they should take himself, the major. Right. Which, and then they light him on fire. They light Daniel him on Day fire. Daniel Day-Lewis escapes with right. the girls, sort of. Well, he gets yeah, Cora. He escapes he gets with Cora out with right. The uh, the younger daughter is is Alice goes with is Magua. trapped with Magua right, and then Daniel Day Lewis shoots um, because as they start to burn the major, Daniel Day Lewis shoots him to put him out of his misery from a distance because he's Hawkeye, right? And, uh, the long rifle or whatever they call him, and um, then the final scene, um, they confront Magua on a mountaintop. And fight him. Right. Uncas is killed by Magua. Right. Hawkeye's brother is killed by Magua. Chingachcook. Uh, then, then Alice walks off the cliff. Uh, right, rather defiance. than be with Magua. Right. She basically, you know, she she kills herself out of defiance. Chingachcook, the father, kills Magua in hand to hand combat. And then he says that he's the last of the Mohicans. Right. And 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 Cora and Hawkeye, you know, sort of leave. They, right. They, they ride they wander off into off. the sunset. That, yeah. I mean, that it's took complex. you like 10 minutes to do. <laughs> right. And, and I'm left out like a mess. I mean, it's a very it's a look, it's a it's a novel. It's an adventure story. It's a complex plot. It's set in it has as a story. There's a lot going on. There's political tension. There's. There's a romance. There's personal tension. There's a, right, love there's a lot triangle. of violence. It's actually right. not. You know, I think it's not a love triangle. I think it's two love triangles because I think Uncas is in love with Alice. Right. Like there's Correct. kind of, and that's what I mean. Like I kind of get the sense that there's 20 minutes there that we didn't see. Like there's all this sort of hint throughout the movie that Uncas and Alice are kind of falling for each other, and like it just doesn't go anywhere. Right. Well, they they show him sort of trading glances, and then that would explain why Ancus runs out onto the cliff. Exactly. Why would he risk his life at the end there? Right. Because these three guys are like the most consummate warriors. I mean, just every time they come onto a scene, they they're they fighting. Cl- they're fighting an incredibly in an incredibly skilled way. They clearly have have just been killing people for for fifteen years. You know, they're just they're so good at it. I mean, but again, like, killer but, with but, the tomahawk. But again, it's, you're you're left with 
And I'm, believe me, there's things I like about this movie, but I do have to kind of whatever. I mean, you're left with a lot of scenes of Daniel Day-Lewis and Russell Means running through the woods. Like, there's a lot of scenes of them running through the woods, but there's not a lot of, like, oomph to the scenes. And, like, for example, uh, Alice has barely any dialogue in the entire movie. Like, like I was wondering, like, why am I supposed to give a crap about her? Like, she hasn't said anything. And honestly, you could say the same thing about Cora. Like, the very first time we see Cora is when she's uh, dissing Duncan. Right. And, you know, like, they haven't done anything to build up, like, what's appealing about her, why he wants to marry her, why he's in love with her, you know, like, beyond the fact that she's pretty. And then, you know, when she turns him down, uh, Alice is like, Duncan, Duncan, Duncan. There's sort of this hint that, like, maybe she's another opportunity for him. Or that, you know, they, that that's the hint they clearly have a background and, and there's, but other, there's but, no follow up. It just it just dies like and it's never, ever, ever mentioned again. Meanwhile, like he's got this woman throwing herself at him in that scene. And then all of a sudden familiar, she's in love you know? with Uncas and jumps off a cliff. You're like, oh, all right. Like, I, mm. I don't know if she loves him or so much as he's just very familiar. And it suggests that they have a they have a closeness in the the family has a closeness with him. And he's it, he's yeah, known. It's possible. It's possible, but you don't know. You don't know um, anything. That's the problem. No, you don't. And it's it's never really made clear. And again, you know, like Madeline Stowe kind of falls for Daniel Day Lewis ostensibly because he saves her, her and Uncas and Chinjatkuch, which I just mangled. Um, you know, they rescue them when they're attacked by Magua and his party. But you know, he's you know he's not particularly nice to her. He's kind of a dick to her in a couple of bits while they're making their escape up to Albany. And then magically they're in love and they've got a love for the ages. Like I just didn't buy it. Absolutely like there's, not. there's practically yeah. no dialogue between them. Like they're laying in the dark at night and that's it. You know, and all well, of a sudden, it, yeah. plus you know, it seems like four seconds, like, like their trip is like two days. It seems right. like it's, I guess it's supposed to be longer, but all of a sudden they're like, right they're they're, they're the, great romance of the of the picture and you absolutely are not bought into it at all no, it and, 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 and honestly artificial. i didn't care you know and i, I Correct. just didn't care and i couldn't understand too like daniel day lewis is supposed to be white but he doesn't appear to need to shave like they're running around in the woods and he has a perfect like gillette five blade shave right like you know what i'm saying and, like his well, hair is perfect his hair is always flowing yeah, like, like, does he have, like, primitive gel or mousse or something? Like, how did he do that? Like, they're supposed to be running around. It's supposed to be hot, and they're running around in animal skins. And this guy looks like he walked out of a salon on Rodeo Drive, you know? Right. I don't know. I just, I mean, like, Magua, like, Magua looks like, you know, he looks like a dude running around in the woods. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis does not. I don't know. Like, I... I was I found myself getting kind of frustrated with it halfway through. I mean, the other problem is, and again, I, I criticize Dances with Wolves a little bit because I, it goes for sometimes sort of like broad or kitschy humor, like like when you know uh, Dances with Wolves hits his head on the door, and there's mm-hmm. like some sort of silly pratfall jokes. But right. this movie is utterly. I mean, there's it's humorless. There's not one moment of levity. There's not. I don't know if anybody smiles in this movie except for Alice when she sees Duncan. I think that is the first and last smile in this movie. Like, like 
there it's just sort of relentlessly serious. And again, some of that I think is just Michael Mann's sensibilities, the director. Yeah, he's kind of but, stoic. But yeah, but I mean, you know, two hours of Daniel Day Lewis looking flinty eyed is tough. Yeah, especially when you don't like him. Well, yeah, you don't you don't really have a reason to like him. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, and I, I haven't read the book. I must confess, but I wouldn't be surprised if the book had a little something in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's funny. Like, I, this is this movie is about you know white people and Native Americans, and and that's about as similar as it is to, for example, Dances with Wolves. Like, that's kind of where the similarity ends. Yeah, but I, 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 I just mean, wonder. I wonder how much of this. Well, no, because Wes, Wes Studi's in. Well, he's in both. He's in right. both. He he has a big part in this movie too, because he was just the the scary um, villain Indian, and it's a small part in uh, Dances with Wolves. He's got a sizable. I mean, right. he's, he, the, he's he the linchpin the, of the movie. He's the, right, he plays the sort of villainous Pawnee in Dances with Wolves, whereas here, like again, he's the only one that's really interesting. Yeah. So that's to hold you the whole movie. And again, you know, like they they kind of portrayed him a little black and white. And I like your idea. Like, you know, why couldn't they have made this movie from his point of view? It's like, have you seen Wicked? Do you know what Wicked mm. is? No. Isn't that a, uh, it's isn't a, a Broadway, Broadway show? show. Yeah. Wicked is the Wizard of Oz from the witch's perspective. Oh, right, right. I haven't seen it, but yes, it's, I remember. I mean, I'm I not a theater is. guy, but it's great. Like I saw it when it came to town. It's, it's brilliant and it's a clever idea. Like you could very easily do this movie from Magua's point of view because, because you know, they kind of give him a motivation like he's avenging the loss of his kids and then when he got back from, you know, the war, his wife had married another man. Like, you could kind of see why Magua's pissed off. Yeah, it could be a revenge picture about the fights among the tribes and the, the hatred among the tribes that goes back a long way. Plus, you throw in the colonials in there and their political motives. Um, and you it mean could like have been Starbuck a, and Apollo, the Colonials? Oh, wait, sorry, I'm mixing. I'm mixing it could have been, yeah, in the British Army. I mean, it could have been a really interesting revenge picture. It could have been, but it wasn't. You know, right. I mean, there's a couple of things. Oh, it's okay. Now that I'm like, I'm just trashing this thing relentlessly. I tell you what I did like about it. One is it looked good. Like I felt like we were in 1757. Like, yeah, people are dressed appropriately. Their their clothes looked right. You know, the way that they sort of use the technology look good. And the battle yeah. scene at the fort is very well done. Like, yeah. you know, when the shell hits, the, like when a cannon shell hits the wall, the wall falls apart as opposed to in most movies where there's just a puff of smoke and people fall down. They make the they make the Indian warriors in general seem dangerous, especially, of course, you know, Hawkeye and his, right. and and his fast and, and fast. Agua. Yeah, they really they make a tomahawk seem pretty terrifying, which is good. Well, yeah, and, and you sort of get the sense that, like, like they're good with the tomahawk. Like, they can throw it, you know, 20, 30 yards and hit you, right? Yeah, you And the implication the sense, is you, yeah, get, you get exactly one hit with the tomahawk and you're dead. Like, yeah. you know, there's no flesh wounds with the tomahawk. Right. They, they, right. They're where it's with authority and they're, they're just so skilled, you know? I mean, they, it's, they're sort of like samurai in a way. That's the way they, they run around. But, Although. Yeah. Although that having been said, that plenty of the plenty of the Indians get shot and just sort of fall down, so that was good too. The British are yeah. portrayed as a little bit hapless in this, you yeah, know, sort too of like so. marching down the road, you know, you know, with a drum beating and in, in, in double right. four, double lines, and then they're surrounded by Native Americans. 
Yeah, by the way, did like, you notice? They're like red uh, shirts, by the way. Yeah, red, literally, they like are the, literal. They're yes. literal red shirts. They're yeah, actually, they're, they're red coats. They're red coats. <laughs> yeah, but they're like the red shirts. <laughs> Who's going to be in this landing party? Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Ensign Schmidlap. Yeah, Ensign Schmidlap's like, mother! <laughs> <laughs> Another great thing about... Uh, um, Ah, I think I'm blanking on the name. What's the name of uh, the movie with, uh, you know, the, the the parody movie years later? Oh, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. Yeah, another great <laughs> joke in Galaxy Quest about, I'm the one, this is the one I get, so I get killed. <laughs> uh, you know, Duncan, Duncan also, they could have built up more. Like, he's kind of just this hapless doof. You know what I mean? Like, well, they tr- at least he's halfway there. I mean, I mean least, he. I mean, at the end, he sort of shows like, well, I really did love Cor, and he lets himself die. But like, you know, like, why he, would she marry him? Like, he's not yeah. an appealing dude. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's another major character, and they could have made him more complex. They could. He's supposed to be an officer. Like, they could have given him some skills or something good. But he's just like, okay, okay, I'll do whatever you say. I'll follow you wherever <laughs> you go. You know, like that's kind of his role in this movie is to sort of like tramp along in the woods, five paces behind Daniel Day Lewis. Well, at least he gets to give a couple of speeches that advocate an unpopular position. Yeah, among you know he's the only one that sort of makes the British seem competent in a way. Him and, and Colonel Monroe, because you know he says like this is you have to we're we're here you you have a duty to the crown and you're supposed to fight and so at least he you know because he's the only one in that sense that isn't just entirely hapless. At least he has a point of view. So that's what I mean by half. Right, he's half a character. So I got to cry BS on two major things that are, I think, are plot points. One is that Daniel Day-Lewis is Houdini, and he magically gets out of his shackles. Like, he's he's arrested, and he's walking in shackles for miles. And then when the Indian attack happens, like, whoop, they're on the floor. Like, oh, he knew how to, you know, get out of his manacles all the time. Like, hmm, how did he know that? You know, like, hmm, that's a little hard to believe. And the other thing is, did you notice that, Magua is a thoracic surgeon because he removes uh, Colonel Monroe's heart in about eight seconds. Yes, like he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take out his heart. I think he even says he's gonna eat it. Yeah, and then he kills Monroe, and then like he reaches down, and then two seconds later, like, like mm, that's. I mean, how did he do that? Like, rip. You know, did he have like a couple of guys rib spreader? Let's get the bone saw. You know, like, hang on, let me just remove it from the attachments of the vessels. Like, literally, in two seconds, he's like, I got the heart. How well, do you do no, that? He, he's just really experienced uh, at going through the abdomen. Oh, he so did he, a trans-diaphragmatic approach. Yeah, he went up. He just went up there and sized the diaphragm and went up there and grabbed it. Oh, Plus, you know, he, I think well, he might have even done it laparoscopically. I saw if you look carefully in his backpack, you can see, like, three <laughs> laparoscopes and some trocars. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. and he's supposed to be. You have to remember, he's supposed to be doing this while the battle is raging around him, and he's he's just there performing surgery on a cadaver. Well, that was know. kind of a yeah. That was a that was a bad throwaway. Really, yeah. Bad. It doesn't even look good. It has that it, like ketchup look. Yeah, and and also like it could have just been you know like him saying I'll eat his heart could have just been metaphorical. I mean, he did you know cuts the guy's throat, I believe. Yeah, I mean, 
it was it was violent enough. I mean, he's helpless, and Michael goes over there and tells him he's going to kill his children, and then you know executes him. And that yeah. was bad. That was enough. Did you notice, by the way, Pete Postlewaite is in this movie? He's got a yes. small part. And did you notice Colin Meany is in this movie? Chief O'Brien like from Deep he Space Nine. Su- isn't he like a sergeant or something? He's he's some British officer who's who's barely in the movie. Right. Um, yeah. But. But I, I I didn't really recognize too many other people from this actually, and like for example, like even Madeline Stowe, I've only seen in a few other movies. She's in Twelve Monkeys, which actually well, I, I do really like. She was in a bunch of stuff, I think, at the around the time of this. Well, this I, yeah, she was big in the nineties. Yeah, you know, like she's in We Were Soldiers. I like Twelve Monkeys a lot. We should, yeah. by the way, we should do Twelve Monkeys sometime. Yeah, I uh, like Twelve Monkeys too. I like Twelve Monkeys, and I like the French movie that it's based on. And I won't try to mangle its name, but but it's like La Jete, which I see. I said I won't try to mangle its name, but I'm going to mangle its name. No, I think that's right. Uh, but yeah, we should do that. But she's pretty wooden in this. But I think that's also kind of her shtick, is she's a little bit like the cool brunette, you know? Everybody was uh-huh. wooden in this. Um, I, I tried and tried and tried, and I couldn't find any connection between this movie and Logan's Run. <laughs> wow, that's a first for everything. <laughs> I know. Although that we did get Colin Meaty in there, so there's a little dark there's a little uh, you know, Star Trek connection in there. Um What was I gonna say? And the guy who played Duncan, I don't know if I ever saw him in another movie before or after this. I don't remember him. I mean he's I'm got sure a pretty a- memorable face. Like he's sort of an unusual looking dude, but I don't think I remember him from anything else. Stephen Waddington. I'm sure he's a he's a working, you know, British actor. I'm sure he's done done a lot. Yeah. Um, I gotta tell you, man, I thought I loved West Studio in this. Like I I mean, I know I'm I'm waxing poetic on Lago, but I think he was he was terrifying and he took he made, you know, the the very minimal. Ba- I mean, he gives the same extremely short background information about his motivation as Hawkeye's Daniel Day Lewis does when he's talking to Cora, and yet somehow you believe it, and you with, care. You believe it, and you care. Whereas with Daniel Day Lewis, it, it just seems wooden. But you know, like Magua, I mean, it's the, it's the same like one or two sentences of background. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, – oh, by the way, um, the guy who played um, – Duncan played uh, Lightoller in the uh, Julian Fellows Titanic miniseries. So I actually have seen him in something else. Okay. Uh, if, you ever, if you never saw that, it's worth watching, by the way. I think it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like four or five hours. It's pretty good. It's by the same guy who made Downton Abbey. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean – you just you just don't buy into Daniel Day Lewis here. So what do you think of the score? The score gets a lot of attention. In I this mean, movie. There's, a, there's a nice there's a nice theme that they're string. It's like sort of string music. It's operatic, um, and and it's yeah. I mean, look, it, it was a it's a heavy handed score, but it's it's a good score. I mean, it's it's definitely a adventure. Um, it, you know, it, it's it, let me put it this way: the score is. It's definitely more emotional than than what you're looking at. You know, it it gets something out of you when the picture doesn't. Yeah, and you know, even the end, which is the end, is supposed to be a big, big sort of set piece where they're fighting on the edge of the cliff, and like you just know that they're all going to get hurled off the cliff. Like you can't have a fight on the edge of a cliff without seeing a few people hurled off. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like every sword fight in Star Wars has to occur over a chasm in some way or another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like when they're fighting there on the edge of that, like I was just trying to think like, hmm, who's going over? I actually thought Magua was gonna go over, but he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, um, and it's not like Hans and Die Hard, you know. Right, right. Like you know, Hans. by the way, Heat is the next movie Michael Mann makes after this, which is weird yep. because they're so different in tone. Right, but West Studies in Heat too. Oh, uh, you know, I haven't seen Heat in so long. I, I didn't even remember that. Part. He plays, and a and this is only two movies after Manhunter. Yeah, I think we have to do Heat at some point, just because, you know. I used to talk about heat with you all the time. Yeah, I think you know. I have to tell you though. I think as time goes on, I'm I'm learning that I like Michael Mann less. Like I really like Manhunter. Like I think Manhunter is one of the best movies of the '80s. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of these other Michael Mann movies, they're not kind of clicking with me. And again, I know a lot of people like him, and I'm not saying he's bad. But as I sort of like look through the list of other movies he's made, like I'm not sort of they're not they're movies that I've seen and I was like oh that was good but like I kind of walked out of the theater and didn't think about it again and again like the way that heat resonates for you and so many people whereas heat for me was it was okay but I kind of just kind of forgot about it I mean the thing about it, the reason I like heat this is we're, we're, we're this is another podcast but the reason I like it, heat to me is like the perfect postmodern movie because it the substance makes no sense at all the plot i mean just the movie itself underneath somehow it's a terrible movie underneath but it's got this <laughs> gloss right it's a terrible movie with this this incredible sheen and gloss to it and it's and per- it, very it, yeah, it's very well made right but it's it's more than just you know there's it achieves something it achieves a a level of um of varnish that is 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 phenomenal and it's so good that the first couple run-throughs, um, you don't even notice that there's nothing, that it doesn't make sense and there's not much substance underneath because it's, it's it, just the, the technique itself somehow um, produces a satisfying experience watching it. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's too dry, but that's what I find interesting about it. I, I, think, I think we should do it at some point. Maybe we're not going to get like an hour out of it, but... Uh, and, you know, it, it, that's the thing that, that I really like about Heat. So I, I think in that context, we should watch – we should do it at some point. Well, people um, and people talk about it a lot. It's, 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 it's sort of like a reference point for a lot of sort of uh, robbery films or heist films or crime films, you know, because right. the, the robbery scene is so well done. You know, it's funny because I only remember two things from the movie. One is I remember Al Pacino and Robert De Niro sitting in a diner. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the the actual robbery shootout scene. That's ninety percent of what I remember from Heat. I think it's actually the best movie, at least you know, non Western, you know, modern. It's the best modern movie shootout scene I've ever made. It, it huh. is because most shootout scenes they don't seem violent and dangerous. They don't see. They feel like a movie. This right. thing, like. You, we we have to do. By the way, we all I mentioned this before, but we've got to do open range. Kevin Costner's open range because the gunfight in the end of that is about half an hour, and it feels chaotic and violent and you know dangerous and crazy, and it doesn't feel like a Hollywood shootout in a similar way. Right. 
like hard everyone to do that. It's very everyone sort that, of yeah. like panicky and nobody, you know, can, like in the you know in the movies it's always like dead eye dick was cool during the gunfight, but in yep. real life, you know, like have you ever read about the real gunfight at the OK Corral, not the one that um, Kirk and uh, Spock fight with the Malkotians in the Star Trek episode, <laughs> but in the in the real one, in the real one. The actual gunfight in the OK Corral was like two minutes long and there were like 60 shots fired and like, you know, four people walked away uninjured. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. It, it, it bears no resemblance to what you see in the movie. It's just a panic melee of guys fighting and running around for cover. Sure. And, you know, that that makes sense. You know, also, I mean, that's that's another great thing about Full Metal Jacket, of course, is. The sense of just pure chaos in Vietnam. They're sort of right. wandering and, around. And they, and they don't know what's happening. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like, in, like for example, in the end, when they're getting shot by the sniper, like, they have no idea where the sniper is. And they're firing off in all different directions while they're getting, you know, sawed to pieces. Yeah, there's no heroic person that pulls up the scope, takes a deep breath in, and then shoots the sniper. No, we should do a whole podcast on great gun scenes. Hmm, That's a really good podcast. We could do three or four great gun scenes, gunfight scenes. Yeah, Ooh, I like. Hey, I've never seen, but apparently, you know, in the opening credits, they acknowledge that this movie is heavily based on the 1936 version, the Randolph, Randolph Scott, Scott Randolph version, Scott. Yeah, no, which I've I never... I have not seen, and apparently, neither have I. Uh, Alice, sorry, uh, sorry, Cora is played by somebody named Binnie Barnes in that one. Hmm. Who does not look like Madeline Stowe? Well, it was 1936. <laughs> Standards have changed. No, I know, but I, you know, now that I've seen this, I'm almost sort of curious to see. Um, I'm curious to see how it looks. You know, there they just call him Hawkeye. They don't call him Natty Buppo. <laughs> I yeah. swear to God, he still sounds like a Marx brother, <laughs> right? Chico Harpo Zeppo Buppo. <laughs> I, I I agree. However. He pre- Maybe that's where they got their names. That's when they. <laughs> I'm looking to see if Margaret Dumont was in that the original. But I, don't, <laughs> I think she was. Here, so. She probably was alive then. She was just. Oh probably, yeah, she yeah, yeah. No, she was definitely alive. This is 1936. Like oh, Duck no, Soup, sorry. I think Duck Soup is like 1938, I think, or something no, I, like I that. Meant, so she was definitely alive. No, I meant 1826. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, for me, overall, a letdown. Like, I, you can, I was sort of like, wow, this is technically well made, and boy, they put a lot of time into this, but just too much, too much. Like, I kind of found myself like not caring. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I never skipped through or fast forward, and I was sorely tempted to kind of <laughs> fast forward a little bit as they I agree. were. There's lots yeah. of scenes of like running around the woods, you know. I'm not surprised because I agree with you. I, I was I was quite disappointed this time, and the only thing I really liked was was Magua and West Duty. Yeah, and honestly, I liked I liked Alice. Like, I kind of felt like there's a lot of potential loss with Alice. Like, she was kind of almost in a more interesting position and more interesting to watch than Cora, but nothing ever really comes of it. And then you know, she just hurls herself off a cliff. By the I way, like, I should say that she hurls herself off a cliff, but in, in actuality, they threw a mannequin off a cliff because it looks very much like a mannequin as it goes down. Yeah. I want wow. realism. And she just wasn't committed to her art. You know, a method actor would have really <laughs> hurled themselves off a cliff. Daniel Day-Lewis would have jumped off that cliff, goddammit. Yeah, he probably did a couple <laughs> times during the shoot, and they just didn't use it. 
I read one great thing about the shoot. Most of the shoot stories were pretty dull, but I read one great thing is that, you know, like when they filmed the scene where they attack on the fort, did you read this bit where they filmed the scene about the attack on the fort? Like they, it took them a long time and they were like all night for weeks were doing this thing. And at one point, like Michael Mann is like on a hilltop, you know, and they're filming and he's like, turn off the light. There's a light. Turn off the light behind the fort. And they were like, it's the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Like he like got so caught up with it, like he didn't he didn't recognize like it was dawn. Right. Oh man, I don't know, I don't know. I, again, I I'm sure a lot of listeners are gonna you know come at us with pitchforks over this one because most of the commentary about this that I read online is very positive. Like a lot of people really like this movie, and for and for a lot of a lot of guys who came of age in the 90s, like, this was a really important film for them. But I don't know, like, kind of all of the passion and emotion and, and love I have for Dance of the Wolves, I just didn't feel here. And I really wanted to. Like, I was so psyched to watch this. Yeah. No, I was, I, I agree with you. I really yeah. um, Which may surprise you. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I, I was disappointed watching it yeah. this time. No, it doesn't hold up. No. No, it doesn't. And again, like... I mean, you never you know, you, know, you never see it on TBS, which is a sure sign of something. Like Saturday in the afternoon, they never show it on TBS. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. sort of faded away. You know, it's it's not entered into that pantheon of movies that that ages well and is sort of always making the rounds on cable somewhere. Well, you know, it got a lot of critical praise when it was released too. I mean, it it, it really it's I think it's generally well thought of. And and the other yeah. thing is, you know, online you're going to tend to get. Unless it's you know super, unless it's a Star Wars movie and everybody's going to opine on it, right? It's going to you know the people that really like it are going to talk about it, and the the people, everybody else just says, yeah, it wasn't so great, and they just or it'll yeah, so there's a biased sort of selection, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, but it's just sort of talking about TBS or like flipping around. <laughs> Back when we were in school, one of the one of the rules was if you flip around the channels long enough, Star Trek will be on, <laughs> right? That's what we used to always say, and it was true. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you if you spun around the dial long enough, you know, either on PBS or uh, sorry, either on uh, sorry PIX or you know WVIA, you get it. Do you remember WVIA when we were in high school? By the way, did you have cable? No, I didn't uh, have so cable like, till I was uh, like twenty-five. PIX used to show Star Trek uh, either at six or at midnight. Correct. And then um, that stopped when we were in like junior high, and then that all went away. And then there was sort of a dearth of Star Trek for a while. And then when we were in, in high school and college, we had cable, and cable piped in WVIA TV 44 from Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And Saturday night, they would show three unedited Star Treks. And that mm. was the first time I saw them unedited because I'd been watching the commercial ones with all the cuts. Mm. And I remember, like, me and my dad and my brother would watch and We'd be like, I mean, we'd been watching a lot of Star Trek. I told you sure. my, my, my um, Lakota name is watched too much Star Trek right. uh, last week. But, like, we would look at each other and be like, well, I've never seen that before. Like, I've been watching the show for 20 years and I've never seen that scene. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it was interesting. And that was, like, the first time you could see the uncut ones because it was PBS. God anyway, bless so, Scranton. I know. Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and Hazleton. Um, <laughs> and although, although, ironically, even though we watched it religiously for years, whenever they had a fun drive, my dad was like, what else is on? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know. Uh, 
I don't any last thoughts on uh, last of uh, Alice Monroe, last of the Mohicans, last of Daniel Day Lewis. Mm, not so much. I don't know. Honestly, right. if they made a four-hour version, I might give it a second try. And now I'm going to see. I'm going to look today. I will bet you that the 1936 version is on YouTube. A lot of movies from the 30s have just been uploaded to YouTube, and nobody seems to care. You know, if you load Rogue One on YouTube, it's gone in four seconds. If you load a 1930s movie on YouTube, the studio's like, all right. Mm. Well, maybe <laughs> I've had it. Who knows? It might not even be renewing the copyright. I don't know. I don't know. All right, should we break? Yep. See you next time. All right. Thanks, Peter.